I felt the peace that comes with acknowledging that I'm not gonna run this race with my own strength. And I think acknowledging those fears before God is what allowed me to feel that peace. And I was drawn to it. And I wanted to know a God who would work that way in my life. That was Abby D'Agostino, professional runner, and this is the Running on Ohm podcast. Hey everyone, I'm your host, Julia Hanlon, and I'm pretty excited to share with all of you about today's sponsor, Dan Walters Running, a personal distance running coach who works online and in person with athletes of all levels, from Olympic trials qualifying marathoners to runners who just want to finish their local 5K. Dan brings the same amount of passion, care, and thoughtfulness to each athlete he works with. With a background as an engineer and collegiate runner, Dan's training has a scientific and personalized depth that is specific to your needs. What really makes Dan Walters running unique, though, is Dan. He's in it 110% of the time with his athletes. Your success is his joy, and your struggle is his struggle. His athletes have unlimited communication with him so that you can access him at all times. If you're a Rue listener in Chicago, you are one lucky duck. You're in the same city of Dan's growing team that's sponsored by Under Armour. If you're interested in working with Dan and don't live in Chicago, no problem. Dan coaches athletes around the world, people who are willing to work hard, love running, and want to improve their fitness. If this sounds like you, you too can be coached by Dan. Check out this episode's show notes to find information on how you can reach Dan and take your running to the next level. Now, on to our show. Hey family, if this is your first time tuning into Running on Home, welcome to the Running on Home family. And if this is your 161st time, welcome back. Running on Ohm is more than just a podcast about running and yoga. It's conversations with wellness pioneers who explore the mind-body connection through different mediums, from actors, meditators, musicians, authors, entrepreneurs, Olympic gold medalists, chefs to surfers. I believe that the stories of the people that I bring on for all of you every week can change your life. Today's conversation is with Abby D'Agostino, professional runner for New Balance and one of the most decorated athletes in Ivy League history. As a seven-time national champion, 13-time all American and 16-time Ivy League champion. I had Abby on the podcast nearly 100 episodes ago, number 73 to be exact. And since then, Abby and I have actually become very close friends, or as we like to call ourselves, soul sisters. Not only is Abby an accomplished runner, but she's also a pretty incredible human being. Abby is one of the most thoughtful people I've ever met, and in today's conversation, you'll get a real glimpse into Abby's mind. Abby gets vulnerable with all of you guys about the hardships she's faced as she's battled three injuries in her first year as a professional runner. She opens up about the anxiety she's battled in running and how her faith has helped her overcome this. This conversation is not just about running. It's about how Abby integrates her faith into all areas of her life. Abby's not only someone who talks the talk, she walks the walk, or should I say runs the run. Be prepared to be inspired to ask yourself some tough questions on how you're showing up in your life. Are you living in alignment with your values? And are you ready to transform any uncertainty in your life into hope? Abby's honesty moved me really deeply, and I feel honored to have her back on Running on Ohm to share where she's at now with all of you. Before we get into today's conversation with Abby, though, I have an exciting November giveaway to tell you about where you can win a Wazelle outfit. So what's even a Wazelle, you ask? Well, it's a woman's running company that does so much more than just make running clothing. It's a community for women runners around the world of all levels to connect, share, and support one another in their lives. You'll be hard-pressed to find a day when I don't have Wazelle on. Their clothing is not only at the cutting edge of running technology, but it's also beautiful, functional for yoga, any athletic activity, or just can be worn for everyday life. So if you want to win a Moselle outfit, 
It's really easy. All you have to do is leave Running on Ohm a review on the iTunes store, send a screenshot of your review to runningonohm at gmail.com or tweet it to at Running on Ohm. The giveaway ends November 30th and the winner will be randomly chosen and announced by December 2nd, 2015. Okay, friends, thank you for still listening to this intro. Thank you for supporting Running on Ohm. Thank you for reaching out to me on social media. Abby and I would love to hear from you guys. And let's dig in together to today's conversation with my soul sister, my good friend, my inspiration, Abby D'Agostino. So, so the, ideally it's Sunday and, and he made note of saying that if you know, you're someone who's a nurse or whose job requires that you work on Sunday, you can obviously assign a different day. But the point is that you're giving yourself regular routine rest and time where you can sit back and let God guide the day, which God guides every day, but like really, really just give yourself open space to like reflect on this is what, this is what my work has done this week. This is what God has done in my life. This is what God has done for me in a like larger sense. And, and that was, that was kind of like the essence of the sermon. Like, like Pastor Jan was like, God doesn't need to rest. Like he never gets tired, but he does it so he can sit back and reflect on this is what I've done. And so that the six days of the week, he can be even more potent and powerful in the way in which he serves. Yeah. It's like, it's almost like you have to charge the batteries. Yes. Yes. Do you feel like your parents, I mean, I feel like I've gotten to know them not super well, but pretty Mm. well. And do you feel like they held space in your childhood for that day of rest? Because your mom is Mm. definitely more of an energizer bunny. Yes. Totally. Totally. I think they're, you know, I think they probably honored it more, whether they, whether it was intentional or not, they honored it more when we were little because they valued that like family time and like all of us were there. And I remember like listening to music on Sunday mornings and that sort of thing. Um, but now, you know, that we're, that almost all of us are out of the house. I think they've picked up with kind of like church involvement and like friendships and in, in some ways trying to fill the gap. That, you know, Mm, our presence has left. Um, It's cool how actually young children, I think, can sometimes slow families down. Because you, like, see a little kid and there's no other option but to just be living totally in the present with that baby or toddler. Yeah. So true. I think that's, like, feedback that, that most new parents will give. You know, that's the primary thing. So when you're looking at your life now and like you're, you know, you live in the paradigm of seven days a week mm-hmm. as we all do pretty mm-hmm. much. And how does that, how does that Sunday day of rest, like, how is that looking like for you? Or have you been practicing that rest? So it's something that, that I've thought about as I've seen friends at Mosaic honor that, you know, I've, it's, it's been like impressed upon me, I think, but it wasn't till the sermon that, that I realized like, okay, this is what it's for. It's for rest of your body, of your mind, of your spirit. And it's time for you. And it's time for you to also, you know, give back to the community and, and trust that, you know, that serving will come back to you, um, in a way that's restorative. So it's kind of counterintuitive, like, oh, I have to spend my rest day giving, but, but it's better to give than it is to receive. And we know that. And, um, so just to, just to understand like the different reasons why it is a sacred day is, I think helps me to 
you know, it motivates me to, to want to, to do that and to know that like, yeah, it's, it's both, it's pleasing to do it and it's beneficial, you know, to the rest of the week. And that there's millions of people in the world who also do that, which is actually beautiful. Like that has stood the test of time Mm. and that pastor Jan talking about like the texts Mm -hmm. and being like, this is, this is beyond just like the modern crazy world where we live in and we're so tech like technology centered Mm -hmm. it's like actually people have needed this forever totally yeah right and it's worked (laughs) yeah yeah and it's worked and yeah people who do i think there's just a lot more awareness for people who take that time weekly um but it's also a practice of taking that time to like plug the batteries and to charge Mm -hmm. them every day and i know that's a big part of your spiritual practice right what does that look like for you right now? So, yeah, I I like to have, I call it like quiet time. Um, and that happens in the mornings because that's when I'm fresh and alive. And um, so I usually wake up and have breakfast and coffee and, you know, chat with my roommates a little bit if they're up. And then, and then I'll just retreat to my room. And um, lately I've been listening to a worship song to get, so... This sermon series has been amazing because the last, it's just given me a lot of like practical, actionable points to, to focus on during the week. And last week it was like, um, you shall not take the Lord's name in vain. So we were talking about different ways to do that. And like, when you pray, I think a lot of times people, including myself, will use the word Lord or God as kind of like a filler, you know, Mm. in lieu of like um, or something like that. Um, and, and I catch myself doing that. So, so it's like, if you put yourself in this mode and for me, a lot of that is like, or some, a vehicle to put myself in the mode of like reception and just, yeah, kind of like soul time is to listen to worship music. And I think that like brings me in, into that like place of humility where I'm like acknowledging, you know, my place before God and, so I've been trying to do that to like begin my, my quiet time and then I'll, and then I'll read some scripture and journal for, you know, as, as long as I have time wise, I like to, to, I don't like it to be pressured, you know, time pressured, but at the same time there are, of course, you know, real, real commitments that I have to honor in the day. So, so it varies, but it's so important and I can feel a difference you know, on days where I don't have time for it. What's the difference? I think I just, I don't, like I feel out of, out of, um, connection with my heart, I think. And, and that's not like, maybe that's generalizing, but I think there will be certain, there's like a lack of patience sometimes, and this lack of like understanding of my reactions, like I'll be driving and driving is just like the, the way, the time in which my impatience like totally manifests. Like, I love it. If I start to like beep, <laughs> yeah, like it's crazy. And I'll like blame the city for like making me an aggressive driver. But like, that's in me. If I'm beeping when the light turns green, like clearly that's like, there's that restlessness there's inside that of you. Restlessness. Exactly. So so things like that will, and that, and you know, that's like a pretty regular occurrence and it always reminds me, it humbles me. It's like, okay, it, you know, 
this is what's going on inside you. Like you can, you need to address something. Um, so yeah, I just feel that, uh, lack of understanding of certain reactions when, when I fail to, to schedule that time in the day. And are you one of those people who's had like the same type of mole skin since you were 12? Like, I don't know why, but I could just imagine you having like a wall of like all the same notebooks. Are you, do you have different ones? I actually have different ones. I was for a while just getting mole skin basically because it was convenient. You know, there was a, there was a little bookstore, um, in, in town at Dartmouth and I would just go in easy, you know, pick up my notebook and go on with my day. But, um, I've tried, I've tried notebooks that have like scripture embedded in them, but I've found that I prefer to like carve out my own scripture and, and like space for my own creativity instead of, I think if I fill myself with too much information during that time, like I don't, I feel more confused than I do guided. So I'm trying to like just limit, limit myself to God's word and not like other people's interpretations of it, if that makes any yeah. sense. Yeah. And that's kind of what some notebooks have had. But yeah, so I love that you call story. it quiet time. It almost thinks makes me think of like recess for kids. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Like it's just like it's like your kind of your moment of pause. Yeah. Um, what would you say, you know, I think what do you think is the benefit of journaling just in general? Whether or not it come it comes from more of a spiritually guided mm. place. Like Mm -hmm. I think, I think one of the biggest things is it brings like, um, reality to the thoughts that can become so abstract and so irrational in our minds or so magnified. Um, that was like one of the first reasons I started journaling because I had all these anxieties about running and, and I didn't, and I didn't understand them. And so, I mean, I guess I grew, I had periods growing up where I loved to journal, but it was never a consistent practice. And yeah, it wasn't until I would say my junior year, uh, at Dartmouth that I started recognizing, okay, this is a need and this is worth, this is worth 10 minutes. This even. is a non-negotiable my day. This is exactly. And yeah, I just remember like I would, that the time that I was able to do it was pretty inconsistent, but, but I made sure it happened and I was able to start processing different, you know, kind of like emotional and a lot of it was, was anxiety around running. So I was able to process that and it became like very therapeutic to me before races. And, you know, it was almost like there was like a, like a positive psychology mix to it where I was not only acknowledging my fears, but also talking myself out of them. And I mean, you were also studying psych at school. Right. So it was kind of yeah, cool. Yeah. It was like, exactly. you also were probably practicing what you were learning in classroom on yourself in mm. some ways, maybe consciously or subconsciously. Right. But you've just touched upon the anxiety of running. What, what was that anxiety and where was it rooted from? Mm. Well, I think, I think I just allowed my motivation to be well, I, I allowed my, um, the fear of expectations to motivate me sort of subconsciously. So, I mean, I was, I mean, any college I think is a pretty high performance environment. And especially because there wasn't, um, 
especially because with my, with my academics and kind of professors there, I was, I felt like I was bridging a gap a lot of times with trying to allow them to understand that, like what it meant to be a student and an athlete. And most of the time I got a lot of support, but sometimes I didn't. And, um, yeah, I just, I felt like I, I really started to internalize that high performance environment and, um, and it wasn't until I started breaking down um, that I recognized, hey, I'm putting a lot of pressure on myself and I'm, I'm allowing, I, I'm sort of imagining these expectations that others have of me and they may not even be real, but that's kind of like the mode of my mind right now. And so I think that's where a lot of the anxiety came from was just feeling, feeling the pressure, whether was, whether it was real or not, I was feeling it, you know? Um, so how did you transform that anxiety and that self-talk? Well, I really, I mean, I think a lot of it was coming to faith in the moment of recognizing that this is an issue that I've tried to pretend doesn't exist. And it's starting to manifest in my life in a real and uncontrollable way. And I need to deal with it. And, you know, it wasn't until before my fresh, uh, not freshman, um, before USA's my junior year, where I started to become more panicky and like started to have these sensations that I didn't recognize that I ended up, you know, just accepting, accepting Jesus and recognizing what that meant in my life. And I felt, I felt the peace that comes with acknowledging that like, I'm not going to run this race with my own strength. And, and I think, I think acknowledging those fears before God, um, yeah, is what allowed me to feel that peace. And, and I was drawn to it and I wanted to know, you know, a God who would work like who would work that way in my life. And that's when I started to rekindle more of the joy, the sheer joy of the sport. And, um, yeah, more of that like childlike, uh, wonderment and yeah, exactly. Excitement and butterflies. Exactly. Yep. So you feel like it was kind of your freshman and sophomore year at Dartmouth is when the anxiety increased 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 mm. in junior year it sounds like it took kind of a head definitely before the trials yes or was it are you saying it was, it was it was so the trials were the end of my sophomore year okay i'm sorry this was this was the usa champs which is essentially the you know yeah same type same level of event. of caliber of exactly. running yeah yeah um yeah that was the end of my junior year and how do you feel like you, you know, how did you find Jesus? Was there a person that was really instrumental in that time? Or was it just your own kind of inner knowing of like, wow, I really need to turn it over right now. I need to turn over my will, my anxiety to mm -hmm. that higher power. And it kind of came on your own. Well, I don't think anything was a decision. I think God pursues you before you pursue him in, in the sense that he put people in my life to that kind of planted a seed for me. And I think that was many, many people. Um, but, but also he allowed certain situations in my life that forced me. And I say forced, it sounds like a negative term, but, um, that, yeah, I mean, allowed me to accept my limitations and, you know, 
to realize, like turned on the lights for like what this all meant and what Jesus has done. And so I think, yeah, it would take a while for me to, for me to talk about each person who, who was part of that journey. But, you know, I can remember a specific person, my freshman year of high school, who was the captain of my team and was the first person that really embodied uh, you know, a Christian life and she was living it. She was bearing fruit in the way that she lived. Um, and it was different. And, and I noticed that. So that was one person. And then kind of along the line, more so in college, my parents, you know, went on a Christian retreat and I saw them radically transform. And that was all happening at the time where, you know, my anxiety was heightening and, was there ever like a peak race that you can point to where you're like, wow, my anxiety was through the roof? The, that, it was that race at USA Championships, the end of my junior year. I just remember being in the airport right before and like having a panic attack. And I didn't know what it was at the time. I was just like, what is happening? You know, like. Were I mean, you with Mark or your parents? I was, yeah, but I didn't tell anyone. So it was, and, and that of course makes it that much scarier. Um, so yeah, that, that really, I mean, that was like, I thank God now that that happened because a couple days before the race or the day before I was just like, Hey, you know, like I can't run this on my own and whatever, whatever the outcome of the race is, you know, I'm going to accept it. And, and that's exactly, you know, the, the morning of, I just felt this this peace and, and I didn't make it and it was okay. You know, it was almost like the water just stilled. Like the the water was just really still. Like I'm almost right now seeing like a lake or something, you know, that's just like a lake in the morning, like the fog over it and just totally still. Mm -hmm. Serenity. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that's how it felt. And I was so thankful. And I, and as I said, just drawn to, what I felt like was a real manifestation of God's work in my life. You know, it was like that, that was real. Like I was freaking out a few days ago and I'm okay today. You know, it was just like, do you think people like friends or teammates or Mark or parents, like people could see that anxiety in you? Because I feel like Mm -hmm. there's this, I've struggled with this. And as a good friend of mine, you know, that sometimes I feel like I live a dual life. Mm -hmm of like the person I am showing up as a yoga teacher, a podcast host, and then the person of my internal experience. Mm -hmm. And as a runner, it is a very intimate internal experience Mm -hmm. because your performance is not necessarily in words when you're Mm -hmm. actually on the field, on the trails, you know, and as a team captain, like, do you feel like people knew that this was going on for you inside? That this huge transformation was happening? That's a great question. And I don't, I don't think they knew. I think my closest friend knew. Um, and, but it was one of those things where it was so like, it was so deeply rooted and it was so deeply rooted that I think I was the only person who could make the choice to, Yeah, I was actually, this reminds me of a podcast I was just listening to the other day. Um, Nicole Antoinette, she said something like the fear, it came to the point where the need to change overcame the fear of the change. And I literally, I was on the elliptical and I literally was like, yes, out loud. And I, was like, I, I don't care who just heard that. Yes. Um, 
<laughs> I think that's so true and real. Um, that, and that's how I felt. Um, so I think, yeah, m- people in like my immediate circle had inklings of, of my feelings, but no one, no one really knew. My parents didn't know the extent of it. And, and yeah, that, that's sort of dual life in some respects. I mean, that, that's part of the problem is, is feeling that disconnect between your internal and external world. And then when you are doing really amazing things as you have done, like people can just assume that, you know, it's all, it's all perfect. (laughs) Right. 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 And that's so, yeah. I mean, there are times where you, you know, you need to like present yourself in a certain way. And I think I did, I mean, I needed to run the race and that was important, but yeah, I mean, there's just a fine line between being vulnerable and, 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 and embracing kind of the expectations of the, of the situation. So I think that's hard to, to kind of balance those two. I think the, the anxiety is just a word I keep on coming back to because anxiety, I think for a lot of people comes with uncertainty. Mm-hmm. And in this past year, there's been a lot of uncertainty in your path as a runner and in your profession with different injuries and just different unknowns. How is that, you know, how has your experience been like of this uncertainty now? Mm. As compared to... As compared to your time at Dartmouth. Like, right. because it's, you've done so much spiritual work. Right, right. Well, I think... Hmm. I think now um, I'm recognizing the complete need for uncertainty in order to um, just just demonstrate to myself, like, well, let me back up. I think that was a little bit wordy. I think... <laughs> I I'm think... the wordy queen, so don't even, don't even worry about it, wordy. <laughs> I think times of uncertainty um, just demonstrate my pride and, and independence, this, this like feeling that like I got this under control, you know? And when I'm in these uncertain places where, you know, you're recovering from an injury and you have to take it day by day, you have to listen to your body and you're doing a pool workout and you're by yourself. You're the only person holding yourself accountable. You're the only person in the pool. Let's say. You're the only person <laughs> in the pool. It's like you and, you know, a bunch of old six year old women. Yeah, exactly. And, and yeah, I mean, you just, you have to, um, yeah, you have to be present in the moment. And so I think, um, I think that's forced me to depend on God in a way that I've never had, that I've never been open to before. You know, I've, I've in, in theory, I've known that that is, you know, this, that trusting God and, and giving my whole self to him is, you know, the only way in which you can really feel that, that peace and joy and satisfaction that he offers. But, but it's another thing to experience that and to, to be caught up in a situation where what you believe is exposed, you know? So yeah, kind of like the depths of injury is for me, what's exposed, like what's in my heart. And I think 
like I was saying before, the way I reacted to injury and still do sometimes in like that feeling of loneliness and that like loss of self-assurance, I think that has shown me, Hey, like, are you really trusting and relying on God in the way that you thought? Are you really, do you really aim to give God control and to glorify him through the sport if you're not willing to suffer through it? So, so I think, yeah, that the fact that I've been faced with that situation of, you know, a total valley and, you know, experiencing the emotions that come along with it, that I've experienced that a couple, you know, more than about three times in the past year. Um, I'm, I'm learning that, okay, you know, I don't, I can't just, um, compartmentalize my dependence on God to, to those moments of injury. You know, it has to be this holistic decision I'm making to like sacrifice, you know, the, the pride and glory and satisfaction that comes from racing well and winning all those things in order to draw closer to him through injury. And yeah, I mean, I think I'm just, I mean, don't get me wrong. There are days where it like really sucks, but, but I'm thankful that I'm being challenged this way so young again and again. Yeah. Yeah. And just at the beginning of your professional career, right? It's so, it's actually, I feel like you're almost being given this like armor, you know, that's just like really strengthening, like an internal armor in a way. Mm -hmm. It's like, you're just getting stronger and stronger so Mm -hmm. that like when the opportunity does come for you to shine, Mm -hmm. And for you not to be in the valley at times, like you're really going to be able to shine even brighter because mm-hmm. it comes from this place of total truth and awareness of the other side and mm-hmm. still holding yes. him in your heart throughout yes. the entire thing. Exactly. Exactly. What, what were the valleys? Like technically let's just nerd out like runner, runner injury lingo. Cause we can all do it. It's <laughs> 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 so like, what was the first valley? Um, so last November, Um, I had just gone to New York for the New York marathon and came back and my left hip was bothering me, came to find out, um, through an MRI that I had a labral tear and it was fairly mild and we weren't entirely sure that that was the source of pain because, you know, as you know, labral tears are pretty common in runners. Yeah. So many people have them. Right. Right. And may not even know about them. So was bothering me for quite some time. And I did a lot of cross training, um, for about four weeks, I would say. And then I went to see my PT who was amazing. And he just loosened up my adductor on that side. And the day of I was pain free. So I think I just had some sort of like, it was like referred pain, you know, something was tugging on the joint and it was manifesting in my hip. So Anyway, that was pretty mild, but still out for a while. And still for a month. I mean, with mm-hmm. I think for listeners who are runners who don't necessarily know what what it means to be a professional runner, a month of losing your sharpness mm. and that neuromuscular sharpness mm-hmm. and so many different things, like mm-hmm. that's huge. Right. Because right. your competitors have that. Totally. So yeah, it may not seem like a month. A month is a lot, but mm-hmm. it can actually be really 
it can be a valley and just honoring that. Right, right. And you have to be careful with the buildup, even even if it's not a bone injury, you know, if you take four weeks off of running, your body's going to have to recalibrate. So, um, so then, and then we went out to Boulder beginning of January. Things were great. The first three or three weeks or so. And then, um, let's see my left, uh, I thought it was my glute at first or like my SI joint. And then, got another MRI and found out I had a stress reaction, my sacrum. So that kept me out for the longest I've been out, you know, my entire running career. And that was Um, from January to when? That was, so I, I had the MRI, I think beginning of February and I wasn't running. I didn't start running on the alt G until like mid March. So, you know, and wasn't running on the ground till April. Um, and then you were running on the track in May. You know then what I was I mean? running the track in May. Yeah. yeah. So maybe I, maybe I started easy running outside like mid March or something like that. But yeah, was not, was not doing workouts until April for sure. Um, so, but, but you know, I, I not fortunately, but, um, I did have a teammate who was injured at that time as well. And, and we worked hard together in the pool. So, you know, that allowed us to come back pretty quickly. And I mean, you came back this past summer and you got to go to Europe to race a bit there. And there was one race in particular that I love for you to talk about, um, in which you set your 5k PR. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I remember I saw you right after you got back and you were just describing to me, like, it sounded almost like you just, you like went to war, not with the, <laughs> not with the other competitors in the sense that like, I know you upheld like a lot of respect for them and all of them, but like you went to war with like yourself and you were just like, I'm going to get every possible thing I can get out of my being mm-hmm. and put it all out there. And it was mm-hmm. so cool to hear that. Cause that's a gift you have is to really take yourself to, to your limit and to trust God and to trust your training and trust yourself mm-hmm. to be able to go there. What was that race like for you from the inside. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I think that's a really accurate way of describing it, going to war with myself because I for the I mean, I didn't really learn how to race until I was in college. I didn't know that racing was was pretty painful until I mean, I had maybe a few races where I was like really really exhausted afterward in high school. Um, so, so, you know, I think all college was definitely a process of like learning, especially the beginning of beginning years, you're learning how to race. And I don't know. I mean, I just remember growing up with that fear of, of, of the exhaustion and of like how that was going to manifest and manifest itself. And it sounds really kind of trivial, but I was always afraid of puking. I was like, I will not puke. I hate puking. I'm not going to work that hard. And, and it's so silly, you know, for something like that to, but, but if I'm being honest with myself, like, you know, when, when we'd run the mile in sixth grade, like that's why I wouldn't push myself. And so, yeah, to like really, well, it's not, I mean, it's a human, we want to protect ourselves as of human course, beings. Of course. So of course you wouldn't want to puke. Right. But I think, I think that the... I think for some people, it's very instinctual to push themselves to the point true, of exhaustion. True. For me, I don't think that's instinctual. I think, I think 
what, you know, the fact that I've learned to do this has come from my love of the sport and coming to faith through the sport, recognizing that this is something I'm called to do. And that means pushing myself to the point of exhaustion. And I remember before that race, I was just praying for the courage to do that. And I knew it was going to be a grind. I knew I was going to have to lead a lot of the race. I knew it wasn't just going to happen for me. I think the first couple races I I ran in Europe, I was just kind of waiting, waiting for that move, waiting for it to be set up perfectly for the rabbit to run perfect splits. And it didn't happen. And I was, I was like, I was ready to, um, put myself on the line a little bit and get, and give, take the risk involved with, um, with leading. So yeah, I mean, I definitely felt like I, with like six laps to go could have stopped. It was, it was, it was just like, I mean, that's, and that's racing, but it was, it was an extreme, um, I think it was a, a milestone and recognizing that like that I still have that many minutes to go when I feel like I want to stop, you know, that was like with more than a mile to go. So, and to really like hit the wall and like, struggle after you cross the line, that's not something that I have, you know, to like have to go to the med tent. That's never something that I've had to. So you were taken to the med tent at that race. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was a little bit hot and who knows, you know, what I maybe was a little dehydrated or something, but I also worked hard, you know? And can we, can you remind me again where this race was? Where was the 5k PR? This was, this was in Houston. Um, Houston Brussels? was the name of the race. It was Belgium. Oh, okay, excuse me. Just outside of Brussels. Okay. Yeah. And I, I recall you saying that, so you led the race, mm-hmm. and then there was two women who passed you, correct? Yes. What did that feel like? To be like, I have literally been fighting, <laughs> and you guys are just going to go ahead. Like, <laughs> well, I mean, yeah. Well, what was more frustrating was that my heels were clipped quite a few times. And I was just like, man, like if you're going to do that, just go in front of me, like help me out a little bit, please. Cause I knew, I knew they were just waiting. And, and of course that's a good strategy, but at the same time, you know, we're at this, I mean, it was a big race, but there wasn't a ton of prize money. Like let's, we were all trying to run fast so we might as let's well just help each other let's out. Let's just help each other. Exactly. Yeah. So I think I was so exhausted by the time they passed me that they, I didn't have the energy to really care that much. <laughs> I was just like, just get through it, you know? So what does keep you going? Because I don't think a lot of people are able to actually tap into um, a higher power when they're exhausted. Is it mm. the higher power that keeps you going? Mm. So I in that, and it, I think it varies. Like sometimes I don't, I'm not like conscious of like the presence of God with me as I'm running. Cause I mean, of course there's so much focus involved, but when I do, when I do come to that awareness, I think it's a total gift. You know, it's like for me to like think on that in this moment of like total engagement and what I'm doing, that's a total gift. And, um, I think, you know, with a few laps to go, I had that like momentary awareness and then was just like, this is the reason I do this, you know? And, and that's, I don't know where other people get that sort of path. For me, that's like where I tap into that power. And I think, yeah, I mean, I'm amazed. That other people can tap into that power. Without, without, you know, that reliance on, 
on God and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And that's, yeah, I mean, that's what like will fuel me either consciously or, or subconsciously, I think. Yeah, totally. And the other race, I feel like there, I mean, it's amazing that you came back from the second Valley, you know, Mm. in April and May, and then you were at USA champs Mm -hmm. and then you got to go to Beijing and that USA race, the championship race. I mean, that was definitely like, you were just being, I mean, the final bit there, Mm. that was so intense. Mm-hmm. What did that feel like? What can you remember from that, those last moments in that race? Right. Um, so I think I just felt re- pretty confident during that race that, I mean, even, even just in the first mile, I, I knew, I mean, something crazy, something like crazy and transcendent, I think happens the day that you run a PR, you know, it's like, you like the everything's everything aligns. conspiring yeah for exactly you to perform at your potential right right and and i just knew it was going to be one of those days and um and mark and i had talked about a couple of tactical things that i was i was focusing on in the last couple of laps and and of course you know the last couple laps are where the race happens and so i was just very engaged and thinking like okay don't don't be the first person to make, you know, that final surge and that final kick. And I think that's what did it. Cause there were like six people in, in the, the pack at that point with like two laps to go or more it or, was or so less. Close. Yeah. It was so, so close. I remember seeing it in my bedroom. I was watching it on the computer and I just started crying. Oh, <laughs> I was like so proud of you Jules. because I think, I mean, I, I've seen like, I've seen the backstory, you know, like right. I've seen the valleys with you right. Right. and I feel like I've, I've journeyed with you through some of them. And so to get to watch you like really shine and know that you've had to do so much work to get there and so much work on your own. Like people don't realize what it's been like to have to do pool workouts where you grind Mm -hmm. in so many levels and just emotionally believing in yourself throughout the process. I think actually that's like been the area that I'm just the most in awe of for you is how you have, you've kept so much faith in yourself not like from a ego place, but like from a place of humility. Like, yeah, this is, I'm going to do this. Mm-hmm. It's Thank awesome. You. Yeah. You. And Beijing was, Beijing was intense in a different way. And I feel like we didn't even get to talk about it that much. And that race, I imagine, was pretty disappointing. And that was kind of the, the beginning of the third valley. Mm-hmm. It was. What happened? So when I first got over there, I started feeling pain in my right hip. It's always, always kind of like the hip region or it has been. Um, and, and thought it was just my hip flexor and, you know, just didn't, didn't really, um, allow it to bother me for the first couple of days and then did a workout and it was pretty, I mean, it was talking to me. It was saying, Hey, pay attention. Hey girl. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and so I think what was most challenging about feeling an injury there is like, I mean, the world champion, you're given, you're given so many resources, um, over in Japan, which was where the, the training camp was. I mean, they had med staff galore and they had chiropractors and PT, but it was, you know, there were they were all new to me and it takes a long time to establish trust with a practitioner who's helping you through injury. And so, you know, I was getting a lot of opinions on it. And at the same time, 
you know, coach was the only person who knew that this was really bothering me. And everyone's, everyone's in like championship mode where, you know, we all kind of have to have out of necessity, kind of like this facade of like, I'm confident and I'm ready, you know, to, to grind this through this experience. And like, I'm focused and that's just kind of the nature, nature of the event. And so I think it was good that I was able to, to learn the intensity of that environment and learn how to deal with it because hopefully, you know, I'll be there in the future and now I know like, this is, this is what I need to do to stay sane during this like really intense period. And to have that quiet morning time and those practices that ground you. Right. Right. Yeah. That's more important, you know, than ever. I think when you're away, when you're outside your comfort zone, of course. So, um, so yeah, I mean, that was challenging. I, I, I wasn't convinced that it was a more serious injury until after the race. Um, like I said, something miraculous happens on race day where I didn't feel it at all. And, um, you know, Mark still thought I was kind of limping, but I didn't have that. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't mentally, it wasn't a mental barrier. Um, so, or at least consciously. So, you know, got through the race, but it was still bothering me with you know, a few days after. So got it checked out and, but, but I mean, I'm still grateful for all that I was able to learn internationally this summer. I've, I'd never been, I'd never raced abroad. So, and I did that many times this summer. Um, and you got to meet so many athletes, which was really cool. Yeah. Like so many different people from different mm-hmm. walks of life mm-hmm. and different places. And that's such a gift within itself. Definitely. And people who were seasoned travelers, you know, and so that, so that was important just for, from like a wisdom standpoint and, and to just really experience the fact that, I mean, this is something I knew, but like, again, it's another thing to experience it that like brands like really don't get in the way of the bond created in, in through like, and with people who really understand each other, you know, like this sport, we're kind of like in a niche, you know, in society and, um, to be able to like celebrate that and talk about to, to a certain extent, you know, of course, like when we're in a championship environment, everyone's going to, like I said, have their guard up in some ways, but, um, you know, when, when I was in Europe, which was like a little more relaxed, I mean, we were just hanging out and that was really fun to see that like these people that, you know, even in college that I had looked up to and was inspired by that they're just completely normal and, you know, they're living this life of a professional athlete and this is what they've learned. And they also just love to do goofy things and eat ice cream and, you know, like stuff like that. So, so yeah, lots of good this summer. Yeah. So when you got home from Beijing, what was the diagnosis? Uh, A stress reaction in my femoral neck. So, so yeah, that's, it was my hip flexor. (laughs) And as we're kind of recording this now, you are, you said you just did your first 25 minute pain-free run yesterday, Mm -hmm. which is so awesome. 
Yeah. Um, what was that like? Like, what was it like to just listen? Because you can sometimes be really cautious if you've had an injury yes. and you can be listening for your voice, for your head to be like, stop, stop, you know, mm-hmm. whereas you actually, it sounds like you just had total relief. I did. I did because, and I think, uh, a lot of factors played into that. I, I did run 20 minutes like a couple of weeks ago and felt a little something, but you know, it's just so hard to know what is it, what pain or feeling is okay and what's not okay. So at that point, you know, I was a little bit early in running outside. So I I decided to just play it safe, play it a little bit conservative, especially since it's just October. Um, but this time around I, you know, we're two weeks out and it's been a while now and, you know, anything I'm feeling at this point is probably just scar tissue. You know, I haven't overdone it at all with, with the, with the impact, Um, so I was like smiling by myself around the reservoir and just like, I mean, I'm sure you were smiling at everyone else too. (laughs) They're all like, who is this chick? (laughs) (laughs) Oh man. I mean, it was just a like quintessential fall crisp day and yeah, I just like to know, like you said, what the other side feels like is just like gives you this profound appreciation. And that like sooner, you know, in a, in a couple of weeks from now, mm-hmm. you're going to be running runs mm-hmm. that are an hour and 25 minutes. And it's so amazing how just like running 25 minutes, you can be filled with so much gratitude <laughs> for those 25 minutes when yes. in a couple months from now, like we can sit down and talk here and that's just your shakeout. Right. You know, right. you're like, oh, I have to do 25 minutes. It's so <laughs> funny how re- like it's so relative. It is. That is so true. Yep. Yeah. Whereas it's like you just saviored those 25 minutes, I'm sure. Every minute. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, Ambie Burfoot, who I've had on the podcast, who was the 1968 Boston Marathon winner, he has an incredible quote that I love, and it's, every mile is a gift. I remember listening to that one. But it's like every minute's a gift when mm-hmm. you're getting to use your body mm-hmm. in this way that we are so blessed to do. Mm-hmm. Oh, I totally agree. And that's how I felt. So I'm really excited to... And to just walk away with that experience, like, okay, 25 minutes, felt fine. I felt fine the next day. You know, once you kind of get past that barrier of understanding that, like, you're healed, so it's easier to ramp up. Yeah, no, for sure. But, I mean, we kind of started our conversation with talking about the Sabbath and that seventh mm-hmm. day of rest. Mm-hmm. How have these valleys and these experiences informed, like, how you're going to be training differently in this upcoming cycle? Mm. Like, is rest going to have a bigger part or is cross-training? Like, what's that actual, like, nitty-gritty? Absolutely. I think that was another benefit of of getting injured, you know, twice within a six month period was recognizing, Hey, all right, this isn't, this wasn't just an anomaly, you know, something's up here. Um, my bones are a little bit vulnerable and, and I'm to account for that in my regular training regimen. And and my coach was really open to it. And, you know, I think I'm going to hop on the alt G probably about once a week and make that a, make that a regular part of my routine cross training day once a week, you know, I so can, a, a non-impact day, a like, non-impact day. So no running one of right, the days. Right. Um, and then, and then a regular off, off day, probably about once every three weeks, which is what I was doing in college. So yeah, I I'm, I'm excited for it. I think the key is to embrace the new plan with confidence. And that's my goal, you know, for this, for this year, knowing that like, just because 
you know, I, I shouldn't see this as like an obligation, but an opportunity to learn more about my body and... And that your body actually may respond to this in a way that it's never responded to anything else before. Like actually, you know, and, and being able to reach its potential right now. I mean, it's constantly, I feel like there's going to be new, new levels of potential throughout your career because you're so young. But to know that like, oh, wow, your body may actually really nourish that non-impact day. Right. I think so too. I think so And too. so that when you are, you know, on the, on the turf, on the track fields, like you'll be able to perform perhaps at a higher level. Mm. I hope so. That's the goal. So what, what is the goal? So let's see, like concrete goal would obviously be, or I feel like there are so many different categories for goals, like process goals and like, yeah. So I mean, we can go through them all. You know, I love goal setting. (laughs) What about a piece of paper? Um, so, I mean, everything is geared towards the, the Olympic trials, which are start on July 1st, I believe. So we're just working backwards from there. And, you know, the goal for the remainder of this fall is just to, to stay healthy and to keep continue developing my base. Um, if, if indoor races align with that plan, that general plan, then I'll do them. If they don't, it's not a worry. You know, there's the outdoor season is long. So, um, so yeah, that's, that's kind of what I'm thinking for the year. But, but like I mentioned before, I think a big, a big process goal for me would be to, yeah, just develop confidence in this new plan and not, not to think of it as an obligation, but an opportunity. And that's, that's definitely been something in my heart as, as I start to come back to health and run outside. What would you say in your own kind of what else in your life are goals for you, whether it be in kind of your spiritual practice and your devotion to it or Mm. other areas of your life? Like what, maybe goals too serious of a word, but maybe what else is inspiring you? Are you wanting to commit yourself to? Hmm. Hmm. Well, I think one thing that I've started to experience a little bit this year is like, really delving into, um, my church community. Um, I think last year, of course, this is my, that was my first year in Boston and, and I was adjusting to professional life and, you know, learning kind of a good flow, um, weekly daily flow for me looked like, but now, now that I'm here and kind of, I've grounded myself a little bit, I'm ready to start like, giving and whoops, receiving with community. And, um, I'm just, I feel so fortunate because I've been challenged in a good way about like the need to, the need for community at this, at this church and, um, and the need for community outside of running, like people yes. who's, like I, yes. I've been to church with you and it's really kind of funny when people will be like, so what do you do? <laughs> you know, <laughs> And you're just like, I can tell you're like, oh my gosh, how do I answer this question? Right, you know, right. but it's like you, I, you own it. You know, you own the fact that you run professionally for New Balance and that's beautiful because it's worth owning. Mm-hmm. But it, I think it's cool to be in a community where there is no one cares that you're a runner. Exactly. Or knows what that even really means. Exactly. It's refreshing. It's definitely refreshing and it feeds into the idea of like the whole self and like the fact that my identity doesn't just lie in being a runner. And in the accomplishments that you do through that. Exactly. Exactly. 
Um, so it's people who, you know, both don't know I'm a runner and don't know anything about running. You know, it's just that like very raw, like you're a person, let's celebrate being a human being, you know, like, Hell yeah. and, and that's, yeah, I, I, I feel really, really, and it's a very young community too. So easy to plug in and meet people who are in the same stage of life. Yeah. It's so, it's really great. Yeah. I know writing for you is something you've shared is something you do in your quiet time, but mm-hmm. also, also something you, you know, you did a lot in college. If you were to kind of give listeners either a writing prompt, a question or a challenge to take with them in their own quiet time, what, what would it be? <laughs> oh, so hmm. I'm not sure if I've heard this somewhere or, I've challenged myself with it. I don't know exactly where it comes. I think someone's asked me this question. It might've been you. I don't know who it was, but some, it was something to the effect of what, what do you not want to write about? Yes. We, we talked about this. We talked about this. Deja vu. (laughs) We talked about this at dinner last week because we were talking about Nicole Antoinette's podcast, which Mm. you just brought up. And she Mm. asked like, what's true for you that you're denying? Right. Right. Yeah. But you can say it in Abby, in Abby language. What, what did you want to get at? I mean, I think, I I mean, that was, that would just be the question I think that struck me, you know, strikes me every time I think about it. Okay. Like if I'm being honest with myself, it just requires honesty, you know? And that's, it's crazy to me that it's so hard for us with ourselves to be completely honest. Why are we, yeah. Why are we scared of being so honest with ourselves? Right. It's, it's like, it continues to mystify me. Um, but, but yeah, I think that's just a great exercise. And I think it's important to really give, give space to like the process of like kind of shedding your layers before yourself. So, and I say that because I've, I recently purchased this book, I think it's called making manifest and it's, um, Oh gosh, how do I describe it? It's kind of like a workbook, which I'm generally not into the idea of workbooks, but you know, it was a recommendation from a friend and basically it's like kind of a month long journey of creative writing practices and creating space for you to like engage with words and your soul and kind of like I mean, it starts, it starts with like really elementary exercises and it's like kind of, it's humbling. Cause you're like, you know, you start it and you're like, Oh, this is stupid. Like, why am I writing? You know, why am I like defining this word that I know what, you know, I know what it is, but I think it's a great exercise. Cause you submit yourself to like the process of something and to, to getting at the heart of whatever it is you want to say. Um, but you, but you might not you know, unknowingly what it is you want to say, if that makes any sense, you know? So yeah, I think each day and I, and I haven't, I've, I've started a few exercises, but I, a few exercises, but I haven't fully committed to that. I just don't feel like it's the, the right time for me, but I think the concept of daily practice of kind of creative writing, you know, whether or not you will label yourself as a creative writer, I think we all have that creative energy in us. And yeah, I think giving it an opportunity is really important. 
I totally agree. I mean, you have been definitely an inspiration for me in trying to kind of connect to journaling in a more daily way and using quotes or scripture to center that can be really powerful. Mm. Um, But then also letting it be really creative, what you're speaking to. Is it scary for you to talk about your faith in a public way? I think, well, I think it is, it's, it's scary on social media still for me because I don't want to feel like I'm proselytizing and shoving it in people's faces. Um, but at the same time, it's, it's authentic. Um, when I do speak of it, um, so that's been a real journey for me in the past year. And I know it's something you and I have talked about is how do I find my own voice within the social media realm and really just own it? Um, and I feel like I'm still, I'm still in process. Um, what do you think the fear would be like the proselytization, like people feeling alienated by that or I think people feeling, um, like I'm trying to sell it. That's my fear because I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to be sold Christianity. That's not what it's about. Like, I believe that like God, God's truth can stand on its own. It doesn't need to be sold. It's true in, in my mind. But, um, I think, I mean, just like anyone, any salesperson, like it's hard to present your, um, beliefs in a way that like, is inspiring and encouraging and gentle. And so I, and and that's how I would want to receive it. That's how I feel like I did receive it. But just like the captain of your high school team, which you spoke about, Mm. like she, she was an embodiment of that grace. Yes. Yes. And so I think you, you're able to do that actually. So maybe, yeah, you do share some words, but it's also the way in which you lead your life. Mm. And that is like a living testament to it. Thank you. Yeah. That's, it's a, it's, um, that's like the most important, important piece of it, but it's just, I mean, with social media, like kind of the nature of it is, I don't know. I think, I think by nature, it is kind of a persona, whether, whether that's your intent or not, it can be perceived as a persona. Um, it almost becomes bigger than just like you, Abby. It's like Abby's social media is its own beast. Right. Right. And I struggle with that too. I mean, like, I don't think I found a way to share my faith or necessarily all of my spiritual beliefs on social media. And some of them I don't want to because it is intimate Mm, as we've talked about. And some of it's really personal. But I think for me, it comes from a fear of judgment, of judgment of like making other people feel uncomfortable. Yes. Yeah. That's definitely part of it. Yep. For me too. And yeah fear that I would be treated differently or perceived differently if, if everyone knew, okay, this is, this is my, at my core, this is my center, this is what grounds me. But I think ultimately we have to, or at least I'm working on the kind of letting that go. Oh yeah. Because in order to step into your power, you mm-hmm. have to step mm-hmm. out of fear yes. into love and mm-hmm. to recognize that the people who love you are going to stand by you mm-hmm. and support you whatever you share. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's like an ongoing conversation I'm having with myself. Absolutely. Um, but hopefully, yeah, I mean, 
it becomes so much of a, of a passion and a belief that like it just flows. And, and that's something I feel from you a lot of the time is just that like flow of love and gratitude and it's natural, you know, and that's the hope that Thanks, abs. in, in, yeah, just like whether it's an interview or social media, it's all about the intention. I mm-hmm, think mm-hmm. it's all like, what is the intention behind what you're sharing? As you've said, like if you're going to share a quote or a verse or praising God, like it's going to come from an intention of truth of authenticity. And if people can feel that, whether or not they agree with that, if they can just feel that like, this is true to me mm-hmm. and I respect what's true to you. Yes. I think that's all that matters. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Intention. Yeah. So it's, what's ahead of you the rest of today? What, what's on tap this afternoon? Do you have a double session or resting or? I am doing a double on the altar G. I did the pool this morning. So, um, so yeah, I'm going to go over to Harvard has been so gracious in letting us use their Alt-G. So I'm going to do that and then go home and cook some dinner, see my roomies, call it a night. And when you're on the Alt-G, do you listen to music or podcasts? Like what, what has been, when you're on there, what, like, what do you, what do you tune into? Or do you just kind of tune into the machine? Mm. Definitely not tune into the machine. Um, <laughs> it's it's super, uh, yeah, redundant, even if it's just for 30 minutes. But um, I've been totally binging on Rue recently. Like I, I've told you this, but <laughs> I feel like it's gotten, it's gotten more intense over the past couple days. Um, so it's so, it's so fun to just like check out of, of kind of, the immediacy of, um, the alt G and, and to, to listen to somebody else's story. I think when I'm in the pool, I need to really check in and focus or I'm not working hard enough, but, um, but I've really enjoyed listening to podcasts. Who would you say out of the running on own podcasts who, what interview really struck you? I think the Nicole Antoinette. I was so, I mean, there were, there have been many, but that was the one I listened to, as I said, on the elliptical the other day. And I was just like professing like, like agreements out loud. And uh, I just think, I think it was so profound and poignant. And she was, she was really honest and raw and I appreciated that. And I think I'm really, I'm really excited to start following her her own podcast. I know it's real talk with Nicole Antoinette. Mm -hmm. Everyone check it. Yeah. Well, I just am so honored that we got to share and record this together. Cause I mean, we, one of the first times we met was when we recorded the podcast together, which is kind of crazy. Over a year ago. Yeah. Well over a year ago. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's just fun to both be at a different stage in our developments as human beings and as in our friendship and in in our sisterhood. And Mm -hmm. so it's just, it's a treat. Always, always to be with you. Love you, girl. Thanks, Jules. Love you too. Isn't Abby's honesty really refreshing and inspiring? I feel honored to have Abby as a close friend in my life who challenges me on a daily basis to integrate my faith and core values into all of my actions. I'm excited to support Abby as she returns to competition and look forward to watching how she inspires in 2016 and beyond. 
If you want to take your running to the next level and get personalized coaching just like Abby receives from her coach, look no further than Dan Walters Running. Dan coaches athletes around the world, people who are willing to work hard, love running, and want to improve their fitness. If this sounds like you, you too can be coached by Dan and you won't regret it. Dan is one of the most friendly, knowledgeable, and approachable coaches and human beings I've ever met. So check out this episode's show notes to find information on how you can reach Dan and take your running to the next level. Before I sign off for today, two final requests. One is if you want a Winnowazelle outfit, my favorite clothing company that can be worn for more than just running, functional and beautiful athletic apparel, all you have to do is leave Running on Oma review in the iTunes store. Send a screenshot of your review to runningonom at gmail.com or tweet it to at runningonom. The giveaway ends November 30th and the winner will be randomly chosen and announced by December 2nd, 2015. Now my second and final ask for you on this beautiful Wednesday is that you share this podcast with one person. Maybe you tell your running buddy, your best friend, your office mate, your mailman, your dog, who knows? I am committed to publishing two podcasts a week and in order to continue to provide this for all of you, I need your help in spreading word about Rue. Whether it's a tweet, Instagram, comment, Facebook post, or email, reach out. Let Abby and I know you tuned in and share this conversation with just one person who's ready to integrate their faith into their life. Thank you for listening to Running on Ohm. Thank you for supporting the show. Deep gratitude to each and every one of you. Yes, you. This is your host, Julia Hanlon, and I hope you have a rue-filled day.